You've heard me say many times that the deflationary economy is far more about the labor market than it is really about falling prices. The same deflationary economy that we keep getting more and more warning signs pointing in that direction. Yet right now, the deflationary economy is more about the prices than it is about the labor, oddly enough. We look around the labor market data, most of it looks relatively good, seems to be holding up. Just today, ADP employment report came in at 278,000 for the month of May. That was relatively good, another good month from them. Jobless claims, they're hovering around 230,000 per week. We did get a spike up earlier a couple weeks ago, but that was erased as some kind of fraud in Massachusetts. So jobless claims are just kind of going sideways here. Uh, yesterday we talked about jolts, not job openings. Job openings is just crazy land. But jolts, the hires data, the quits data, they're going lower, but not really in a way that would make you think deflationary economy. Ba basically nothing worse than a slowdown. The labor market data looks okay right now. And for what most people get their picture of the economy, it's usually the unemployment rate, GDP, and the stock market. So the labor data, including the unemployment rate, those look relatively good. The stock market's kind of hanging in there too. And GDP, GDP's weak, but not really all that much. So we talk about deflationary economy, people are like, what are you talking about? We don't see it anywhere. In fact, we're more likely to see consumer prices and consumer price pressures than we are to be worried about job, job, about job cuts and mass, mass layoffs. But if you look, look, actually look at the details in the data and look in the, around the, the rest of the world in particular, you can see the deflationary wave building and building and building and coming and coming and coming. We had a big one just yesterday, a big milestone that was passed in the tips market. We're gonna talk about that. The ISM today contained a price surprise in its figures too. Um, I've talked about China's PPI, of course, commodity prices, goods prices in the, on the uh, production and wholesale levels across the rest of the world. There's price action there. Europe, Germany and European CPIs that have been stubbornly high up until recent months, they now look like they're going to move sharply lower. But of course, policymakers don't believe it. They don't buy it because policymakers don't, aren't able to accurately forecast where, where these things are going because they don't understand where inflation actually comes from. What is inflation? What is the supply shock? What do these things actually mean? Responding to the consumer price data in Europe, the head of the ECB, Ms. Christine Lagarde said, there is no clear evidence that underlying inflation has peaked. We have made clear that we still have ground to cover to bring interest rates to sufficiently restrictive levels. Even though the CPIs are, even though the markets have been saying interest rates are going lower, the economy is likely in recession and going to get worse, central bankers, therefore the public, they won't be able to believe it until they actually see it in the data. So the ECB, like the Fed, they're not going to react to lower consumer prices until the consumer prices are actually really low. And by then, of course, it's too late. That's, a, that's one big reason why the curves are so inverted, because the curves aren't just betting on deflationary economy, they're in a way betting against everything that you hear from these policymakers and everything these policymakers believe and are attempting to do. So we're going to look at why it's prices right now that are more deflation-y 
than even the labor market or maybe other parts of the rest of the macro, macro economy. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available where we do go into the monetary system, why central bankers aren't able to look at money, monitor money, and regulate money, therefore have a much more accurate picture of consumer prices and the, and the overall economy. We do the same thing in our research subscriptions, which are more focused on what's going on now and what that means for the immediate and uh, intermediate term future. I do a daily briefing at marketsinsiderpro.com, as well as a daily deep dive analysis, which gets posted right on the Eurodollar University website. And that website is eurodollar.university, convenient enough for you. All the information about memberships and research subscriptions at the site, again, eurodollar.university. A big reason why the public has so much trouble about the economy and in particular inflation and consumer prices is because policymakers have maybe even more trouble with the economy in particular consumer prices. Starting from a position of ignorance, many ways self-imposed ignorance because as we've talked about many, many times before, central bankers and economists, they ignore all of this market information. They don't pay any attention to curves. They prefer instead their own econometric models, which leads them astray time and time and time again. I'm going to read to you um, what sounds really familiar. It sounds incredibly familiar. I'm not going to give you the date of when this discussion took place, because when I tell you, you're going to be floored. You're going to, you're going to have to look it up in the transcripts yourself because you're not going to believe when this is. But it's eerily similar because at the time, policymakers faced with a combination of credit crunch and banking crisis along with oil prices and commodities and consumer price inflation, they were more... It, they were not thinking that the economy was going to go into recession. They were not believing that consumer prices were going to fall on their own. They were more worried about the, the latter than the former until they actually saw it. They were going to continue to believe that inflation was the biggest risk to the economy. The person in question here is a Richmond Fed President Jeffrey Lacker, who's going to sound a whole lot like Christine Lagarde just did. He starts off by downplaying the banking crisis and the credit crunch. What he said was, potential growth effects of credit constraints or financial headwinds have gotten a lot of attention these days. I remain skeptical about the magnitude of the drag on consumption and investment spending that credit market conditions are likely to, to create. Sounds, sounds very familiar. The FOMC today, in the wake of SVB and Credit Suisse said, yes, there's going to be some credit tightening, but it's only going to cause maybe a mild recession. So even the FOMC today is only a little bit further ahead from where the Fed was back then. Back to Lacker. Different institutions have been affected very differently by recent events depending on the strategies they chose to pursue in the years preceding this episode. As a consequence, intermediation is just shifting from some institutions to others. In fact, we've heard of banks picking up business that other banks are shutting. <clears throat> JP Morgan. Anecdotes about particular banks cutting back on lending thus need to be taken with a grain of salt. And I don't think they're necessarily representative of the banking sector as a whole. And you can imagine this discussion taking place at the FOMC earlier in May, or maybe at the next meeting just a couple weeks from now. 
The banking crisis, yes, it's going to cause some institutions to cut back on lending. Bad for them, but good for somebody else who picks up the slack. In the, on the whole, you can convince yourself this was all a big nothing. Poor SVB, the economy will be just fine. Not just fine, the economy is at more risk of consumer prices spiraling out of control. Forget the banking crisis, we've got this other stuff to worry about. Again, back to lacquer. The Green Book forecast is that the core PCE inflation will rise to 2.6% for the second half of this year and then gradually subside to one and three quarters percent a year or so after. This forecast is a very risky path, I believe, because at any point along that hump, higher inflation could well become embedded in expectations. Policymakers, it's all about expectations, not money, because they don't know what money is. They believe inflation is psychology and the Phillips curve. I think getting back to price stability after this episode is going to depend critically on the stability of inflation expectations, as many of you have noted. It is true that TIPS compensation measures have been reasonably steady for a few months. Actually, they were higher and then starting to go lower, so we'll talk about it in a minute. And that wage rates show no sign of accelerating just yet. And if we wait to raise rates until wages, wage rates accelerate or TIPS measures spike, we will have waited too long. I think that's very clear and it will cost us too much to recover our credibility. Again, sounds exactly like what policymakers sound like right now. We don't see conclusive sign that consumer prices are going down. We're, we're a little bit worried about the downside risk of recession, but we're more focused on the possibility that expectations, inflation expectations become unanchored and therefore become a much bigger problem. So we gotta act now, we gotta raise rates right now before those expectations become a big, big thing. And the tips rates at that point those had already spiked. They had spiked and gotten up pretty high, substantially high. But even as Lacker was talking, those had rolled over already and were heading much, much lower. But again, they only pay attention to these market signals when these market signals are fit, fit rather well within their, within their narrative and worldview. So according to Lacker, TIPS inflation rates were relatively high and stable, which was a bad sign for him, rather than realizing they had gone up and it had already started to come down again. Going back to him, it's very explicit about, and again, sounds just like Lagarde. I believe that the biggest policy risk we're going to be facing in the months ahead is the risk of waiting too long. In the past episodes of Economic or Financial Weakness, we've been unwilling at times to raise Fed funds rates until we were almost completely certain the economy, the economic recovery would be sustained. I do not think that we can afford that luxury at the present time. The risk is too great that inflation expectations will ratchet up again. We need to be prepared to raise rates even if growth is not back to potential and even if financial markets are not yet tranquil. Sound familiar? And we need to be prepared to raise rates even if we think we might have to reverse course. Sound familiar? So when was this? If you probably figured it out, I'm, I'm sure you probably have, this was sometime in 2008, but not just any time in 2008. This wasn't April 2008, the month after Bear Stearns. This wasn't even June 2008 when they were talking about skirting recession, as I've mentioned many times before. This was August 5th of 2008. August 5th of 2008, as the economy was falling apart as they were speaking, they were more concerned, and this was not just Jeffrey Lacker. His, this view was widely shared throughout the FOMC. There were a few who argued against it, were more concerned about the banking crisis, but most of them downplayed it and continued to believe, as he said, 
I think the most likely outcome is for us to continue to skirt an outright recession. There's some risk of a broader and sharper contracture, but I believe the magnitude of that risk is modest. Again, more concerned about inflation and inflation because of expectations in August 2008. Because up to that point, as Lacker said and others on the FOMC said, the macroeconomic data, in particular labor data, didn't look too bad. It actually looked relatively decent in the face of all of these headwinds. Sounds familiar. As I mentioned in the introduction here, we got a, a, a milestone, a potential milestone on the road to, disinf well, first disinflation, then the deflationary economy. Again, it's in prices and it relates to the CPI. I'm talking about the TIPS market or inflation protection. The five-year TIPS break-even hit 2.07 yesterday, and I think it's a little bit lower today, though we'll have to wait to see how trading goes. That's the lowest since January 13th of 2021, and the five-year break-even had been the one that everybody paid attention to. Back in March of 22, it got way up there to 359. It's been lower at a couple, a couple points, hitting a multi-year low over the last several months but hasn't yet made the convincing move below that threshold that maybe it's starting to do now because we see other inflation and consumer price numbers and expectations beginning to roll over, as I mentioned, commodities, oil prices, all those kinds of things. So we'll see if this one sticks and starts to head lower. But right now, just like in August 2008, we're seeing the tips break-evens break down too. And though Lacker was ignoring it at the time, Again, tips break-evens were heading lower even before we got to the GSEs, even before we got to Lehman AIG in September 2008. Another one we got today was from the ISM, the ISM Manufacturing Particular Prices. Now, the headline ISM was just like all the rest of the data that we've been getting, soft as well as hard data. Uh, the index fell a couple, a couple tenths of a percent, or a couple tenths of a point to 46.9 from 47.1. That's just barely above the cycle low, which, which was 46.3 set in March. And just for comparison purposes, in August of 2008, when, the, when Jeffrey Lacker was sure the uh, economy wasn't gonna hit recession, that the banking crisis was nothing, that inflation was the biggest risk, the ISM in that month was 49.2. And it had only been as low as 47.6 in February because the ISM, like the rest of the economy, uh, fell in the, at the end of 2007 and 2008 and then rebounded and then fell off the cliff even before Lacker and the FOMC were talking. The new orders number as of May 2023, 42.6. That's really ugly, down from 45.7. That's basically the same as the January low of 42.5. And again, for comparison purposes, back in August 2008, the ISM new orders was 46.7. So appreciably better back then than now. And like the, the overall index, it had dropped earlier to 45.6 in March 2008 before rebounding and then right off a cliff. The big one though, I think prices paid. Uh, the prices index from the ISM, 44.2. Now they had gotten up into 53.2 in April and had been rising since last year, which gave everybody this idea of transitory disinflation or restarted inflationary pressures, but According to the ISM, according to TIPS, according to a whole lot of stuff, commodity prices in particular, oil, we're moving off the cliff part of the process. Um, and we're getting closer and closer to the point where the 
disinflation becomes deflation in prices and then becomes deflation in the real economy, which means mostly labor markets. As the ISM man, uh, said again today, um, companies are managing outputs to better match demand for the first half of 2023 and still prepare for growth in the late summer, early fall period. However, there is clearly more business uncertainty in May. As we've said before about the ISM in particular, businesses are willing to hold on to workers longer than they have in the past, hoping we'll get past this soft patch and we'll get into a second half rebound, which recovery, everything will be fine. China reopening will help. Europe escaping the, uh, the uh, energy crisis last year. All of these things will pick the economy up and the second half of this year will be robust. We just need to hang in there. But as prices show, as China reopening fail shows, as Europe's recession shows, hanging in for a second half rebound that isn't likely to show up means you don't hang in there anymore. And then as new orders contract and collapse and backlogs of work contract and collapse because you have nothing left to do, you have no need for your workers. The day in which the deflationary economy becomes deflationary in terms of the labor market is rapidly approaching. And we can see it happening in prices. Prices are more deflationary right now than labor is, but it's, it's in process and in the works. Just one final note, because we mentioned Europe, we mentioned Christine Lagarde here. What were the CPI numbers in Europe and Germany yesterday and today? Today was Europe. Their CPI was 6.1% year over year. That's down from seven in April. That's the lowest since February, 2022. More importantly, the month over month rate was zero, flat in May. It was 0.6% month over month in April and 0.9% in March. So ever since Credit Suisse, uh, pretty substantial deceleration there. The core rate was 5.3% year over year. That's down from 5.6 in April and 5.7 in March. Like everything else, it's gonna take the core rate a little while to, to run into disinflation. As we mentioned in 2008, the US core PCE deflator didn't actually begin to go lower until September of 2008. We've got disinflation and not deflation in price data that is pointing us in the direction of a deflationary economy that will eventually become deflation in terms of the labor market. That's exactly what markets are saying. And the data and evidence continues to point in that direction, even if policymakers cannot and will not see it coming. They won't react until the CPI is back to 2%. And by then, it'll be far, far, far too late. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University subscribers, marketsinsiderpro.com subscribers, and the Eurodollar University members, all of you, my sincere thank you. And until next time, take care.